The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide, this time with Howard Linsky. Hello, Howard. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, Howard's an acclaimed local author, and uh, and f- now he's thankfully back in the right seat. It felt weird the other time we did this. Yeah, it's a bit of a rural reversal. It was um, an un- unusual. I'm, I'm far better off talking about the movies that you asked me about, not the other way around, I think. <laughs> You see yourself more as the uh, uh, as the the sort of the guide than the host. I'm, I'm just not the host, mate. You know, that's how can I possibly compete with you? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, so what we're going to do with the uh, the film, as we usually do, we will look at Howard's choice of films on free to air TV for the forthcoming week. Uh, we will also look at uh, a film that Howard has has determined is too good to be forgotten, and we'll be looking at new releases on the streaming services. But we start things off with uh, a look at the new releases in the cinema, and there are um, two films that Howard's talking about uh, this week. The first one, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I know, that sounded like a, a horror film to yeah. me, you know, a bit like The Eyes of Laura Mars. Do you remember yeah. that one from years ago? But actually, Tammy Fear is a well-known figure in America, <clears throat> and it's a fascinating story. Tammy Fear, the real Tammy Fear, um, was married to Jim Baker in the um, 70s and 80s. He was a, an evangelical television preacher, and she used to go on uh, TV with him and sing, and they would try and raise money for the Lord and to build churches, etc. But it turned out a lot of the money ended up in their pockets, mostly Jim's. Um, she <clears throat> was either unwitting or <laughs> unknowing or, um, you know, possibly not the driver of this lifestyle that they ended up having because they were living like multimillionaires. And um, he eventually went to jail and his sentence was massive initially and was cut down on appeal. But um, the, the, this basically, the story follows her life and it's Jessica Chastain starring as Tammy Fear. Um, who's a, a heavy-hitting, very good Hollywood actress, as we know, and Andrew Garfield, who is not just Spider-Man, but also a, um, a you know multi-film uh, Hollywood veteran now. He plays uh, Jim Baker. And, um, I was going to say, isn't he a bit young to be playing her husband? But, but I just looked it up, he's not. He's, he, he's, he's 39. I'm thinking Andrew Garfield's about 19 years I, old. I think there must be something in this radioactive spider blood that they keep having, because if you look at Tom Holland, he looks about 16. Yeah. He's, he's actually quite a bit older than that. Yeah. So I think it's, the, it's not the curse of Spider-Man. It's, the, it's almost like the, um, the fountain of youth it just, that they drink from when right. they've got that role, I guess. <laughs> but you're right, yeah. So he, he's been, but he has been around for quite a while, and he's done a lot of good movies. They're both very good uh, actors. Mm. And um, this, the interesting thing about this character is that there is a there is a sort of a redemptive quality to the real person because un, unlike most evangelicals in America she was very tolerant of homosexuals she interviewed guys on TV who were suffering from AIDS and you know said nice things rather than horrible things about them and wanted to um, you know be friendly with them and, and as she put it hug them and she became something of a gay icon which is very unusual for someone from that background yeah because um, because the church you know being so evangelical over there well the the american kind of christian scene is is pretty um conservative you know hugely it's, it's yeah, very different very. from other countries including <clears throat> our country thankfully I, I think it's, it is yeah um so this is a, a snapshot of that world and what you know it's about the downfall of, of both characters to an extent and the redemptive arc for for tammy fear and jessica chastin seems to have got a really to a T. I, I should stress that having done a bit of research on this, this was a massive story in America because his fall, having been the evangelical preacher who turned out to have committed fraud, was huge and it was all over the news, whereas we probably only read about it on 
you know, page 20 of the Times at the time. You know. and, and apparently it was a huge documentary um, from uh, 23 years ago, from 2000, and it, which was also called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which this is the film is, is inspired by the documentary. Ah, and another interesting part uh, about this that I've stumbled across on YouTube by accident is that there is another film featuring Jim Baker, uh, sorry, Baker and Tammy Faye. And uh, Jim Baker is played by Kevin Spacey. Someone else who's had a rather amazing fall from grace. So there you go. Well, that's a 20-year-old television movie that you can still see on YouTube. Okay. Well, it's um, because the whole culture of televangelists, it's not a thing we have over here. We've we've never had this. You know, people who are old enough might say, oh, I remember Billy Graham. Yeah, as somebody who who sort of was was very much international, but but I don't, and I'm not sure if it's fair to call him a televangelist, but he was certainly someone yeah, he who became was a, bit a of star figure. in that world. But I don't yeah. think he was quite. These guys seem to spring up in the '80s, and their whole shtick was um, along the lines of, "Well, if you really love God, you should be sending money." Yeah, um, and we're going to build churches. What he also built, by the way, he built a massive church-related theme park, a sort of Disneyland for the church which stood for ages and was, was huge. It cost multi-millions, and he just kept saying, I'll just keep raising the money, and it has to be amazing because it's God, you know, so you, yeah. can't, you can't skimp for God. It has to have all the fixtures and fittings. And It is uh, chilling, <clears> though, <throat> when you see these people doing what they do mm. and, and the, the showbiz theatrics that are involved with, yes. with, with, with what they do. And then, off, you know, I've seen a few of these things, I'm sure <clears> listeners <throat> have as well, where then there's some sort of expose, and it turns out that they're... They're actually up to no good themselves. Yeah, the usually they with are condemning. prostitutes. There was yeah. one guy with rent boys, and the thing yeah. with Jim Baker as well. What led to his eventual conviction for fraud was that the money, a lot of the money he took, he used to pay off a woman who accused him of rape. Two hundred eighty thousand dollars, I think it was. Wow. So that's that's one hell of a story. Yeah. If, you, if you made that up, people would <laughs> say it's a little far fetched. But as usual, life is more interesting than fiction. And and um, uh, Jessica Chastain as well. I mean, she, she she's a. a wonderful actress someone I wasn't particularly familiar with I'd not seen some of her earlier work and then I, I saw Zero Mo- Dark Thirty was the first thing I saw her in right so I, I've seen that subsequently I didn't see it at the time the first thing I saw her in was Molly's Game yeah I've seen that which, which I thought was Idris Elba yeah, yeah. And, and another she- true story and another Spider-Man connection as well because the uh, the villain in that is Tobey Maguire, although it's a, it's hidden. It's not he's not mentioned as Tobey Maguire. But do you remember the guy who wins the poker games, and his hobby is destroying people? Okay. That's widely acknowledged as Tobey Maguire. Ah, not a very pleasant individual off screen by the sound of it. Okay, so there you go. All right, so so what? So he was the real life inspiration for the character. Who ah, that's... tries to destroy Molly and everybody else. Very interesting. Yeah. And if it's not, well, I'll see you in court. When yeah, you, I know. If I when we're put, sat put there it together, this way, I wouldn't be the first person to see it. Many, many hundreds of people have said it. So. Okay. Well, anyway, the, the eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, and that's uh, coming out on Friday. It is indeed. Which is, I'm saying Friday, of course, that is the 4th of, uh, 4th of February. Uh, the other, there's another film that we're looking at as well, another one that comes out on, um, on the 4th of February as well, I'm assuming. Yes, Is Moonfall. Yes, bonkers by the look of it, but probably fun as well. Uh, it's a science fiction disaster film. <clears throat> it's been directed by uh, Roland Emmerich, who has done lots of similarly um, or outlandish the world's going to end type movies, so he's quite well known for this. This is his shtick, really, isn't it? It is. It's his thing. So 
Um, I, so, I mean, before he did what, like the day after tomorrow, Independence, Independence Day, bit, and the yep. sequel, and Godzilla as well. So he he's, he knows his way around. Mm. A big, he knows his, he knows how to destroy the Earth. Yeah, and lots of buildings along the way with uh, tidal waves, lasers, and aliens. Now this one, <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's been it's been shot in Montreal with a 140 million dollar budget, which is probably quite modest for Hollywood. But it's one of the most expensive independently produced films of all time. So he must have done a good sales pitch on someone to raise the money to, to, to do this. And he's assembled a pretty decent cast. He's got Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, who is better known as Samuel Darley in Game of Thrones. So the one who's uh, Jon Snow's slightly, well, a lot less harder friend on the wall who becomes the healer uh, in that series. So those of you familiar with Game of Thrones... Uh, and uh, Donald Sutherland's also in it as well. And the plot, not that we need one, um, is uh, the moon is knocked from orbit by an unknown force and put onto a collision course with Earth. Two astronauts and a conspiracy theorist work together to attempt to avert disaster and discover that the moon is not what it seems. The moon is an imposter. So there we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, watch the trailer. It looks absolutely bonkers, but fun. Um... John Bradley, as in Sam Wiltarley from Game of Thrones, he plays the guy who spots what's going on long before NASA. And there's some quite good comic interactions along okay. on the lines, with, particularly with Halle Berry. Uh, but he, he, two and a half minutes of the uh, trailer was a sensory overload, so I suspect 90 minutes of this <laughs> will be quite something. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's... Uh, well, 90 minutes is two hours and ten minutes long. Oh, my goodness, okay. Yeah. It was just a guess. I haven't yeah. done the research on the running time. but uh, Yeah, no. It seems quite long That's a, a long film. movie. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Roland Emmerich, no stranger to to those sorts of epic movies. Mm. Uh, and I was just looking at a list of the films he's done, and, and I've forgotten one or two of these. They're... they're um, it's not quite as diverse as, as 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 Ridley Scott, as we've mentioned previously. But um, he he did do um, a Stargate, an Independence Day, and and the nineteen nineties version of Godzilla. Uh, but he also did. Um, oh, what was the one that really surprised me? If you say Pride and Prejudice, I'll die laughing. But uh, I know it's not him. <laughs> some, uh, some Dickensian adaptation that involves half of London being destroyed by Fagin and Oliver Twist. <laughs> The Patriot. That was one that surprised oh, me. Oh right, yes. The Mel Gibson costume yeah. drama thing. Um <clears throat> the one where the English really are the villains in every way, shape, yeah. and form, you know. Oh, aren't they just stick an Australian in an Aussie movie about the English and you know what's gonna happen. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, so yeah, Roland Emmerich back doing his thing. And uh, yeah, great and a, a great cast, as you've mentioned there as well, um, with uh, with you know, uh, Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson and Michael Pena as well, who who, who seems to be, you know, a, a, a supporting character who's who's been in a lot of a uh, lot of great movies. Mm. So that's uh, those are your two new releases that are coming out in cinemas on the fourth of February. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over ten years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views, and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. 
part two of the St. Albans Film Guide with Howard Linsky is upon us now and uh, we are looking at the films on the streaming services uh, and uh, well, first off we're going to look at one that's on Apple TV at the moment that, that actually came out recently but you've you've seen it haven't you? And yeah so, so it's, it's it. interesting to see it's hit Apple so soon I saw it um, locally at the Campus West Cinema in Welling and uh, that was only two or three weeks ago so um, it's the tragedy of Macbeth and um, this is uh, there's been a number of film adaptations of Macbeth. It's just basically Macbeth, the Shakespeare version, but they're calling it the tragedy of Macbeth, which I think is the way they used to tee these things up hundreds of years ago, so people knew they weren't coming to a comedy. Um, this is uh, an American version of it. It's directed by Joel Cohen, one of the Cohen brothers, famously, and uh, based on the play. So all the dialogue is as you would expect. Um, the film has got Denzel Washington playing Macbeth, and boy, is he good in this. Um, and he's ably backed by Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth. And the the twist, you know, on, on this really is that they're playing more mature versions of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. So they're childless and they're older. And as happens in all versions of Macbeth, he has the chance to seize the throne, having been tipped off by the witches at the beginning of the play that he's going to be um, king hereafter, basically after the battle. So it starts with Macbeth winning the battle that gains approval from the king and uh, he becomes the Thane of Cordor and Glams and uh, the king comes to stay at their house or castle I should say it's a bit bigger than a house uh, because they're home and they have one chance to do him in and then Macbeth will take the throne seize the throne and of course as most people will know it ends well, it is a tragedy, so you know there's a clue in the title. Doesn't end well for Macbeth. Doesn't end well. It's not a comedy thereafter, I'm afraid. It's much more, much more uh, grim. But this is notably brilliantly performed. I mean, Denzel Washington's superb in this. Um, and I say that as someone who's not. Sometimes I like to see Denzel Washington in things. Sometimes I'm less impressed by him. But in this, he is so good. Um, and I was completely won over. It's very minimalist. There's no big battle scenes. It's all interiors. Um, so it's all about the dialogue. And of course, you know, it was written by. William Shakespeare, so we know it's going to be pretty good. Pretty yeah, good, he's one know. of these up-and-coming uh, screenwriters, yeah, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he could have a future in Hollywood, yeah. I think. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> um, so a couple of interesting things that I discovered about this movie. Uh, so first off, so this is an, an Apple TV original movie, right. but it's their first one that they released theatrically first. Ah, I did not know so that. So yeah. often with streaming things, they, they'll sometimes give it a very limited release to, to, to yes. qualify it for, for awards. And things. But, but <clears> Apple actually did release this in the cinemas. It was on a wider release mm. first, and then got a worldwide launch on apple tv a couple of weeks later so it is so people will now be able to watch this um, but it, it did hit cinemas for a short amount of time mm. quite recently but yes it, it's uh, it's one of their originals and th- they've not done too many of those you know netflix have done a lot amazon have done a few you know apple are trying to sort of nudge their way into this 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 here market now um, and the other thing that i thought was of interest is that this is the first solo directorial effort by joel cohen mm. um even though he used to be credited solo it was always him and his brother ethan cohen um yeah but, didn't they flip the credits of director and producer but they sort of did it jointly or am i getting well so apparently off track there? according to this ethan did. was uh, was <clears throat> uncredited as a director up until 2004 oh. but they always directed them together mm. uh and and so yeah and then then maybe they did flip it around but no, this one is just joel cohen well also we can tell sh- he knows what he's doing because it's very good <laughs> and it's the shortest um shooting of a movie he's ever done they, they made the whole movie in just over a month uh, and, and yeah, and it was all done on sound stages, as you, you yeah. sort of alluded to. <clears throat> and that doesn't, you know, I, I, I did wonder about that initially, because when you see other versions, they they will do battle scenes and they'll, you know, put a bit of action in there. And 
but he didn't lose anything from not having that and it's all about the inner thoughts of the of the actor and there's not a lot of scenery chewing from Denzel Washington it's mostly quite quiet asides mm. um, not just soliloquies but asides to the audience and he's so good doing I, it I was quite surprised when I heard that he was doing this and then I've subsequently discovered he's no stranger to Shakespeare. I know he's done quite a bit. I mean, um, I even in Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing years ago, he was the, was he the prince in that, from memory? Uh, anyway, sorry to throw that question at you. Uh, <laughs> however, would you know that off the top of your head? Uh, but it was a rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he was definitely in. He's, um, Keanu Reeves is in that version as well, and Branagh played... Um, Oh gosh, what's he called? Uh, um, he was Benedict, wasn't Benedict, he? Benedict, that's yeah. it. Yes, and Emma Thompson, and Emma Thompson was Beatrice. Beatrice, Beatrix, yeah. I seem to remember that. Um, that's he a said, really he good says reading on his screen here. Um, but yeah, Denzel Washington was Don Pedro. Don Pedro, there you go. Sounds like a mafia Don. He does, doesn't he? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the, you know, I, I mean, I do think that everything that I've ever seen uh, Denzel Washington do has been superb, a superb performance. Sometimes the films, are yes, not... I should have clarified it really by that. By you know, he's very good whatever he does. He's but consistently good. Like most actors, you have to give him the material. And uh, yeah, although yeah. apparently mm-hmm. he's doing a third equaliser film after this. He was saying in doing the interviews for um, for the tragedy of Macbeth, he, they sort of said, "Oh, what, what have you got next?" And he said, "It could be more different." I'm going back to beating people up. He said, "I'm doing another <laughs> equaliser film," which, which in itself is something because up oh, until he's... the equaliser two, he'd never done a sequel. Um, oh. And uh, but he's he's reuniting with Anton Fuqua, who he's worked with many times before. Uh, I think Training Day was one of their big ones. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, the tragedy of Macbeth. Then, so uh, yes, thoroughly recommended by Howard Linsky. Absolutely. So, you, if you need a refund afterwards, just get in touch. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that will work. <laughs> You'll not get anything, but you could try. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yes, it's um, yeah, and and I got a feeling this one might be bothering the award ceremonies as well. Mm, could well be. Okay. The other movie that we're talking about, uh, which is uh, on on Netflix, uh, this one uh, comes out. Uh, I'm assuming out Friday or soon. Yes, it's on Friday. Right. On the 40th. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. I keep saying Friday. I keep telling other people. It's my fault. I should put the release dates on the notes It'll for be you. Helpful. Yes, I did it's it. Definitely out. I did it for you. Just saying. I know. I for, know. Fourth see, of Feb- so, this is why I never host. You see, apart from one called upon in an emergency. No, but when I was you, I was. I did that that one week. <laughs> Gave you everything. I spoon fed you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the way I like it. Through <clears throat> my window is the Netflix yes. release. Now that that could sound quite creepy in the wrong context, but this is actually a movie based at a teenage audience. Um, and more of a love thing because the person looking through the window is a young um, teen. It's a Spanish film adapted from a teen novel by the author Ariana Godoy. And it tells the story of a teenage girl called Raquel who is in love and obsessed with her neighbour, Ares. Uh, they've never spoken to each other, but she sees him a lot around. And then there is a sort of meeting because he basically pinches her Wi-Fi. He sort of logs into her broadband or her family's broadband and I think he has to get a little closer to the house to do that so that breaks the ice um, and I suppose it's a bit uh, love story but then things spiral out of control now I'm not I, I'm not aware of how they spiral out of control but they do um, Claire uh, Galle I think it is plays Raquel and Julio Pena or Pena as Aries um, the original uh, Spanish title is a Traves de Mi Ventana, which I've probably mangled there, but never mind. And wow, it's I, I very thought for a moment there that you must have grown up in, in Spain. Yes, I sounded like a, a native of Andalusia. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very firmly aimed at a teenage audience, sort of grown-up teens, I suppose, as in like 15, 16, rather than, you know, the younger teens. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think it's also a little bit 
I got the impression from the trailers and the write-up that it's kind of the girl has to come out of herself a bit and go out, you know, clubbing and partying and generally being a bit more wild in order to attract Aries who never commits, that kind of boy, you know. Uh, we've seen it all before, have we not? Uh, it, it does sound like it might have been done once or twice. Just a tad. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it, apparently it's pretty good depending on, you know, your outlook, if it's, if it's one to recommend to the teenagers in your family. Well, maybe if, <clears throat> if you've got a teenager in your family who's currently studying GCSE or A-level Spanish, then it might be quite handy. Good point. Yes, yeah, uh, something to look out for. Through My Window comes out on Netflix on the 4th of February. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Part three now of the St Albans Film Guide, and uh, this time round we are looking at another film that Howard Linsky has deigned too good to be forgotten. And this is, uh, we're going back to 1984 now with a film called Another Country. Yeah, so this one I, I really liked at the time when I saw it at the cinema. That's how damned old I am. And I watched it again just the other day on uh, a DVD. As I often do, I managed to get a, a cheap copy of this, just a, a local charity store. And I thought, oh, I'm pouncing on this. It's very good. Um, so this is, um, anyone can watch this, but it helps if you're familiar with the idea of the Cambridge Spies, which I suppose most people have probably at least heard of in passing and maybe know quite a bit about. Um, Philby Burgess, McLean, Clean, McLean sorry, and Blunt were the four guys who betrayed their countries. They met in Cambridge in the 30s and um, for years they gave secrets to, to the Soviets and were eventually exposed. Now, um, Guy Burgess was the, the most outrageous one. How he wasn't rumbled earlier, heaven only knows, because he was a, a wild person, uh, a massive alcoholic, often getting into arguments and brawls and was not very subtle about being a homosexual in a world where that wasn't just frowned upon, it was also illegal. So he there should have been lots of red flags about this guy, but he was still allowed to be in a position where he could betray his country. And the questions about him include, like the others, why did he do it? Why did he become the person that he eventually became and betrayed his country? And so Julian Mitchell wrote a play about this called Another Country. It's a fictionalised Guy Burgess. He's called Guy Bennett, memorably played by a very young Rupert Everett. And his best friend in the film is also memorably played in a feature film debut by a very young Colin Firth. And they're both really good in this. And it it shows them in their um, archetypal Eton-style or Winchester school, public school environment, where there's a lot of privilege but also a lot of random cruelty and hierarchy and and really it reflects a system that doesn't work as a sort of metaphor for the whole country and what happens to Rupert Everett's character who's openly gay for this world um, shows really what would happen to him in the wider world and why he became the man he did who rejected his country and it's not sledgehammer subtle um, it's it's very very good very well acted and very well written and um, worth another look, and uh, as we always say, too good to be forgotten. Okay, so check it out. It's a, it, it's a thing I found here says about how um, that that it is incredibly close to what happened to Guy Burgess in, in just about every way, even down to the way that um, the, the, he talks about his father's death in a particular mm. scene, which apparently was very much like it, it actually happened. Yes. Yet there's still a thing in the credits saying uh, you know, all the characters and events in this are complete, completely fictitious. Any similarity is, is purely know. coincidental. Hilarious? I mean, I, I, I'm baffled by that because I, I think he was long dead by then because he drank himself to death when he went to Russia. He didn't last very long out there. Hated it, ironically. Um, and so he was long gone, could hardly sue. 
And I mean, how are you going to sue that it's given someone given someone a bad name when he already has a fairly bad name as it is? Very, very unusual that they didn't just go down the route and say, yeah, it was him. But uh, but very good nonetheless. I wouldn't say you necessarily come out of it at the end going, yeah, I can see why good old guy Burgess, you know, betrayed his country. But you get an inkling as to why he didn't feel part of that world and why that world um, treated him cruelly and how he reacted to that cruelty. So... It's quite nuanced and um, very well acted. I mean, Rupert Everett and Colin Firth are very good anyway, but you could see from an early age that they were going to be. Yeah. They are really good And, and of course, they worked together a few times uh, after yes. this. The, the Importance of Being Earnest. Which is um, another good one. Uh, yeah. Shakespeare in Love, they were in together. Mm. St. Trinian's and St. Trinian's 2. Ah, no, yeah, well, yeah, at least said. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> as soon as and also, um, Rupert Everett cast Colin Firth in his debut as writer and director, The Happy Prince. Yes, from about a years Oscar back. Wilde. Yeah. yeah. Um, although apparently in 2007's uh, autobiography, Rupert Everett claimed that he doesn't like uh, Colin Firth. They've got a real dislike for one another. Well, that's baffling. There is. But then Colin Firth and Hugh Grant have a jokey thing going on like that, don't they? Where they, whenever one of them gets nominated for something, so for example... Um, Colin first got nominated for the Oscar, and I think Hugh Grant put out a comment. Oh, he's terrible! Don't give it to him. But but like he meant it, but he didn't mean it. So how know? Who knows whether the Rupert Everett Colin first thing is for real? Or maybe it was once. But if if yeah. if a film from four years ago that Everett um, wrote and directed, and he cast Colin Firth in it, then yes, maybe the, maybe there must have been some rapprochement yeah. in, the, in the intervening years. I mean, I think um, Colin, uh, sorry, Rupert Everett, incredibly talented guy, but also quite prone to the odd spat didn't he have a memorable falling out with Madonna yeah and absolutely went for her in his autobiography so <laughs> but yeah, so he has history but yeah. what, a, what an actor what a very fine actor yeah 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 great great yeah. actor well, you know all of the, the cast uh, in all the main cast here that you know have all gone on to great things uh, but uh, apparently uh, Princess Diana's younger brother Charles Spencer yes he was an extra had a yes, small yes. part in this movie yeah. uh, but uh, that's uh, another but, country but from managed nine- not to ruin it so that's good <laughs> So, another country from 1984. You went to see this in the cinema. I wasn't old enough to see this in the cinema yeah, when it I came know, out. I know, I just thought I'd throw it in before anybody yeah. else mentioned, like, oh, where did you see this, Howard? Yeah, I saw it in the cinema, yeah. It, was, it would have been six years record, before I could have legally seen this. For the record, this. I would have been 17 at the time. So, I would have identified with those public school boys, except I went to a much rougher comprehensive school. Yeah. I probably watched it and thought, what are they moaning about? (laughs) There you go. When we return, we will look at Howard's Choice of Films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast, One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. 
Time now for us to take a look at Howard's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. And we start off with, and, and, and listeners, I don't know whether they'd be pleased to know or not, but it's it's a selection of channels this time, you know. And it in is. In the past, I, I, somebody I went said, for the, are you sponsored by Film 4? I went for the sponsorship from Film 4, and it, they weren't forthcoming, so I'm not going to pick six of the seven movies from that channel on principle. They were going to sponsor yeah. you 50p a film, and you didn't think that was enough. Yeah, well, you know. Hold out for a quid. Yeah, I, I just thought a pint would be nice. If they bought me a pint, I'd keep doing it, but no. No, they didn't, so they've ignored me. Okay. But no, it's a, it's a bit of a mixture this time, so the films are, you know, but I, one or two um, perennial favourites. Great movies, classic, well represented. Okay, so we start off with Friday the 4th of February, 10pm uh, on, great movies, classic, yes. Das Boot. Yes, and unless you um, are fluent German speaker, you might not be aware that that translates as the boat. Although it isn't a boat, it's a sub. Uh, but Das Boot, most people have heard of Das Boot. It's a fantastic German war film from 1981, written and directed by Wolfgang Pedersen. And it stars Jürgen Prochnow and a bunch of other um, German actors. Too many to list the entire cast. But it's a um, very gritty, grim, realistic war movie following the crew of a German submarine during World War II. Um, the havoc that they cause and then the, the wrath that is uh, brought down upon them during the battles in the Atlantic. Um, it shows the excitement of battle, but it also shows the, the tedium sometimes that they all had to endure and, of course, the claustrophobia. Um, we've talked before about other movies, but, you know, saying that you, you can't beat a good submarine movie, uh, Crimson Tide and, uh, you know, one or two others that we've mentioned in the past, spring to mind. But this one, uh, this one is the one that they probably all set out to um, mimic or, uh, if they can, surpass, because it's really, really good. So strongly recommended, um, preferably in the original German with subtitles, because I think there is a dubbed version, but I think this will be the the, uh, the German version. Okay, now I'm slightly confused by Das Boot, because wasn't it also a TV series, a mini-series? I think there was a, a Or was it that the movie yeah. was... Because so, that also starred uh, Jürgen Prock now. Yeah, I mean, I, I was aware there was a series. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. And it didn't seem to hang around forever. There is also confusion with the movie version because there is the original movie, which is quite long, in German with English subtitles for, for our market. There is then the, I think there's a dubbed version. And there is also a version that I believe they broke it into bits, like two episodes or something. So that might be the one you're referring to. But I think there was also some TV stuff going on with it. Yeah, so, so yeah, this is where I'm confused. Now, I've tried to look this up and as best as I can see, it came out as a movie in 1981 that's right and then it was a TV series in 1985 oh. but it seems to have the same cast which I, I so I just wondered whether or not because I heard that there was so much footage shot whether mm. they kind of re-edited it into Maybe. a, yeah. a six hour director's cut thing the yeah, remastered because version it was a, and split it into some episodes that yeah because it. it was a, it looks like it was yeah. a six hour um uh, it was it it was a a, a six hour mini series. Oh, okay, but uh, but I don't know. But anyway, you're talking about the original movie yes, from 1981. I, mean, I, I rarely go for TV spin offs unless I hear fantastic things about them because they're usually a little bit watered down and maybe the idea doesn't survive six seven episodes. So I must admit my ignorance of that. But the movie can't speak more highly of. It's very realistic. Okay, uh, that's uh, that's the first film that you've mentioned uh, that you're suggesting. That is Das Boot, uh, which is on 10pm. Uh, Great Movies Classic on Friday the 4th of February. Let's move to Saturday the 5th of February, 2.50pm uh, on Five Star Little Voice. I love this film. Oh yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? I've seen it a long while, so I'm hoping it... Uh 
reaches my expectations if I watch it again. But it's a 1998 British musical film written and directed by Mark Herman, uh, made in Scarborough, North Yorkshire, which uh, for my neck of the woods was always a destination for childhood holidays. Um, the screenplay is based on Jim Cartwright's 1992 play, which was called The Rise and Fall of Little Voice. And it's um, about a young only child who lives reclusively. Her name is Laura Hoff. She lives with her mother, Mari, in a working class home in Scarborough. Um, she's known as LV, which is short for Little Voice because she's soft and has a childlike she has a soft shy and childlike speaking voice she's not really into confronting reality and hides away in her bedroom listening to records uh, all the time and but she can do really bang on impersonations of the voices of american and british singing artists including marilyn monroe gracie fields judy garland and shirley bassey so her love of the songs is her only source of strength since her beloved father is dead she has a terrible relationship with her mother and what happens is the mother starts dating a man called Ray Say, who's played brilliantly by Michael Caine, isn't he always? And that guy realises that LV has a talent and he wants to get her to be the next big cabaret act. And he tries to persuade her to perform and she doesn't want to perform. Eventually, he manages to get to do it as a tribute to her father. She goes on stage, goes down a storm, sings superbly in all the, in all the um, right accents and right singing voices. Um, and then uh, you can imagine complications ensue because she only wanted to do it once and he's thinking passport to fame, riches, success at last um, and complications ensue. So there we go. And it's um, Jane Horrocks, I believe, who plays LV. Yeah. Superbly because I, she does all the singing and everything as well. I remember that there was uh, a lot of emphasis placed in various interviews and supporting sort of um, promotional materials to say that it was her voice, mm, that definitely. it wasn't, um, they didn't use yeah. different voices or, or it wasn't dubbed or anything I like think that. I she think was, she was in the original play and I think there might have even been um, implication that Jim Cartwright wrote it for her. So whether she just did this as a kind of, Guess what my party piece is, and you know, let me. This is my Shirley Bassey impression, or yeah. my, you know, Gracie Fields impression. Um, so maybe he wrote it because he knew she could do it. Because I can't, I can't imagine writing this without checking that someone could actually do it. It must be quite a risk. Yeah, you are dubbing it, but they didn't. One would imagine that, uh, that at the very least, they must have realised. Yeah, yeah, that they were looking for someone who could do all of this. But, mm. but I've got a feeling I heard a similar thing that the the stage play was created with her in mind I because so. they, they yeah. knew her abilities mm. um I, but I, I don't have anything to base that on but I'm, I'm that does make sense to it, me. it like you to me it feels like a sort of half remembered thing i might have read once yeah and i'm ho- praying that that is the, the reality but i i think that is backed up probably by the fact you wouldn't write this on spec because uh, you know as a play or you might write it as a book but you wouldn't write it as a play or a film unless someone could actually deliver this and she does it so well, particularly she has to play a person who is extremely shy and reclusive. Um, but yeah, worth check it out. It's worth, if you haven't seen it, it's very good. Little voice. Okay, I haven't found anything to support our assumption about Jane Horrocks there, except just to again finding more stuff saying that she. Um, uh, oh no, I have. Here we go. Oh, good. Oscar-winning director Sam Mendes directed the original London stage version of the play entitled The Rise and Fall of Little Voice, which was written especially for Jane Horrocks. There you go. You see, bringing these facts to the listener. I was worried I'd have to bring this one back like in the, when we're talking about the next one because I thought I'm going to be one film out here because I've now also found out that the 1980 
mid-80s TV version of, of Das Boot was just re-edited footage from what was shot for the movie Das oh, Boot. Right. Okay. So it yeah. wasn't a different version, which is why it's we, got all the same cast. We did sort of work that out, didn't we, though? So we, 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 we sort of guessed like, it, but I was, but, and it was well, the BBC who did it. It was a BBC production, that, like, that um, TV one. Well, like cinematic detectives looking for clues yeah. and, you know, uncovering the truth. Yeah, but we're slow <laughs> ones. We're, you know, yeah, what, we one, work at our own pace. One movie out, so <laughs> maybe I've caught up now. But let's move on. <laughs> okay. so, so Little Voice, just summarise, 2.50pm on 5 Star on Saturday the 5th of February. We move to Sunday the 6th of February. Uh, 1974 this movie came out. But uh, yeah, it's Sunday the 6th on uh, Great Movies Classic at 9pm, The Odessa File. The Odessa File, yes. It's a, a famous novel written by Frederick Forsyth, The Day of the Jackal Chap, um, which was published a couple of years earlier. And uh, this movie stars John Voigt, and it covers the story of a young German reporter attempting to discover the location of former SS concentration camp commander. Uh, oh, sorry, one commander. Uh, the, and Odessa is an acronym for the German phrase, which I'm now going to mangle, Organi- Organisation de Emaligen SS Angerhorigen, which translates as Organisation of Former Members of the SS, which is much easier to pronounce. Um, the novel alleges that Odessa was an international Nazi organisation established before the defeat of Nazi Germany for the purposes of protecting former members of the SS after the war. So I'm not entirely sure how much historical accuracy there is in an organisation called Odessa, but we do know that Nazis, toward the end of Nazi Germany's uh, fall in the Second World War, they did escape to South America, for example. So there is a certain amount of truth in that, and they were hunted down. Um, Interestingly, uh, the exposure that this movie caused led to the real-life butcher of Riga, Eduard Rochman, being um, discovered. And uh, he was arrested in Argentina by the Argentinian police, had skipped bail and fled to Paraguay, where he died three years later. So, yeah, just the, the, just the publicity around these former Nazis on a Hollywood, or in a Hollywood movie, sorry, led to his exposure. And there were a few films of that ilk, weren't there, at, at around about the same time. The Boys yep, from Brazil the Boys was from only Brazil, a couple yeah. of years later, wasn't it? I believe this idea it, quite prevalent in the 60s and 70s that or, or a worry really that was prevalent was that Nazi Germany could rise again um, and it, we're a bit more blase about it now because we've got decades later well, like, well it never happened but I should imagine that would be a concern you know you've got um, with the Cold War going on as well the idea that the, the right wing um, fascists or Nazis could re-emerge in Germany and take control again must have been a concern. And, uh, yeah, and and I mean, recently this has been explored with the the Amazon series Hunters that was on oh yes, a uh, couple of years one, ago yeah. with um, Al Pacino, mm. uh, and and that was although that was also almost graphic novel esque in the way that they put these people that were almost they would almost depicted the hunters as as superheroes in a way oh, without really? costumes, oh. but they they and and some of the. It was pretty extreme, some of the, the, the violence, but it was almost done in a darkly comedic way. Yeah. It was weird. The style of it was, was weird. But, the but tone it, seems a bit off. It was yeah. a serious subject. So, well, and also, wouldn't the Nazis be 105 or something by now? So it was set in the 70s, but oh, it was okay. made recently. Right. And, and so mm. it was very stylized. And um, oh. bits of it... So when they caught somebody, and the way they dispatched them was, was, was 
you know, but it was so, it's a bit like Tarantino-esque, you know, think yeah, about... Yeah, I'm not as keen on that. I, I mean, I, I, we can't have violence being too realistic all the time, but when it becomes highly stylized, I think it yeah. loses something. The, the other thing where, the, really where that series that. got criticised for was because they kept doing flashback scenes to concentration camps and they were trying to show the horrors that um, that the... the the, the the Nazis were were, depi- were, were, were inflicting on people. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yes, what they were inflicting upon the the the, the Jews in these camps, but they, apparently they made it up, oh. and they made up these horrific games that they got them to play and things like you that. See, I don't understand why you would do that in this current era. I know straight away that that's going to cause huge controversy. Even Schindler's List, which was massively accurate got attacked by some people who felt very strongly about certain scenes. Yeah. So unless you're going to show exactly what happened, surely you're diminishing the whole story. Really. Well, that was the argument. And there was, some, the there was some kind of um, organisation that, that, that really took exception to this and said mm. there were plenty of real horrific things. You didn't have to fictionalise them. Because if you fictionalise them, you, you add weight to the fact that it's all fiction. That's well, the problem. Yeah, and that was the big thing. It's so very sensitive. In that series, that they depicted a real-life chess game where these two German officers were playing chess using, they had a, like a life-size board uh, set out, people. and they using the people. But when one piece took another, they had to kill them. And so they were so so. You had these, you know, th- these two sort of prisoners of war right. who were on opposing sides, and it was like, right, you've got to take that piece. So, so they had to shank them, and uh, it was it was you know brutal and horrific and and horrible, and not anything that ever happened no, it's just ridiculous because as i said enough horrific things mm. did you don't have to exaggerate what happened yeah. in the holocaust for heaven's no. sake but i've taken us okay. down a slight detail there but but back in the Perfectly 70s there were okay. films that covered this sort of thing yeah and and you've picked out one of one of the classics from that time the odessa file based on a book by was it frederick forsyth it was and the script Which, oh sorry you said that didn't you? yeah not to worry but the script it's worth repeating it's very good um the script also was uh written by george markstein who was the founder of the Marjack Literary Agency that I am represented by, oddly enough, coincidentally. Oh, right. oh so, you're a writer. We yes, don't mention oddly that enough, enough I just thought I'd shoehorn that one in. But, You've you know, written books set um, around World War Two, haven't you? A couple of books set yeah. in World War Two, I have, yeah. So that wasn't, that wasn't what I was going to shoehorn in. You did that for me. It's very kind of you. Well, but, yeah. but no, I just thought, um, I was, when, you, when you sign up for an organisation like that, it's quite nice to know that the, the guy at the top wrote books and scripts, and he also wrote the prisoner scripts, you know, the prisoner as in... Um, the uh, the series in the 60s. Oh, Patrick McGowan. Patrick McGowan, oh, yeah. Okay. So he wrote those and famously fell out with McGowan because McGowan wanted to go all acid trip on it and get very surreal, whereas I think, you know, George was yeah. a bit more down to earth, shall we say, wanted it to be a bit more realistic. I did, I did read something about the final episode, which for many, many years baffled people completely. Mm. And then in the late 80s, Channel 4 repeated the series and then did a documentary about the series and they found the co the co producer. So um, Patrick McGowan was one of the producers of that series, but they yeah. found the other guy, and he said we made up the last episode. He said it was just footage from previous episodes. We just threw it together. There was no Whoa. meaning to it at all. We Whoa. just had one more to do, and we didn't quite know how to do it. And 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 apparently Patrick McGowan would never talk about it, which really? added to the mystique. But it turned out it was just nonsense. It is. I, I never really liked that series. It was always too surreal for me. But I did like. Uh, Danger Man, the one that came before that ah. with McGowan, and the theory was that the character in Danger Man tries to quit, resign, becomes the prisoner. Uh, but I tried to watch the prisoner, and I was just—I I think I was 
14 or something when I first saw it and thought, no, this is not for me. <laughs> I went, I've been twice all. to the village where they filmed it. Oh, that I'd like and, to see. And, yeah. oh, it's something else. It's like a Port Marion mm. is called the real village. Yes, and, it looks uh, amazing. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> total um, sidestep there. Going off on tangents. Yeah. So we like to do that. Odessa File, 9pm, Great Movies Classic, Sunday the 6th of February. We move to Monday the 7th of February, 11.15pm on BBC Two, Red Joan. Yes, not deliberately, but we've just, I've realised we're moving from fascists to communists. So Red Joan we're is... swinging around the political spectrum. We are. We're, we're representing both sides of the uh, debate here. Uh, Red Joan is a 2018 movie. It's a British spy drama directed by Trevor Nunn from a screenplay by Lindsay Shapiro. Um, the main uh, person in this is Judy Dench, who plays... Uh, uh, it's based on a novel, but she plays... Uh, a character inspired by a real-life person. Now, it's Melita Norwood, who I've heard of, um, because, uh, weirdly, even though she was quite suburban and an elderly woman with no real sort of high profile, when she was finally blown as an agent, um, as a double agent in Britain, um, it turned out that she'd given away far more damaging material than all of the Cambridge Spies put together. She is classed as the most um, damaging to Britain and the West agent by by the russians they thought she was incredible because she gave away nuclear secrets and was eventually exposed in really late old age and so this is the story of what happens then and how there's a knock on the door and um and it's a i suppose it's a character study with judy dench's character looking back on why she became who she became so a little bit like another country but um this this person had led such a bland life that she was christened the spy who came in from the co-op <laughs> that was a nickname Brilliant. at the time by the press and, yeah. uh, and I won't sort of give you a spoiler alert on it but you know I'll sort of leave you to watch it and see what happens to her but it's really about whether she's going to get life imprisonment or not for what she has done because although she certainly if she'd been discovered in the peak of her life she would have had a lengthy jail sentence but now she's you know close to the end of her life and they finally work out who she is well if you go on to imdb don't read the first um trivia point because then that just completely spoils it ah, okay. which is surprising yeah, yeah. that they didn't mark <clears throat> that as a spoiler that is odd. but yeah. but yeah it's amazing to think you you've already said this bit that she it wasn't discovered till very late she she was born in 1912 and she was doing all this in the 40s and 50s and it wasn't discovered until 1992 isn't that incredible and i suspect i can't remember because i've seen this movie but i suspect 1992 is around about the time when after the Soviet Union fell, there was a brief period where you could get into Russia and you could read secret stuff before it all tightened up again and went horrible under Putin. But there was a few years there where you're like, hey, there's files here that proves this guy did something and that guy did something and this woman um, gave away all these nuclear secrets. Mm. Well, uh, and and showing once again that, that Judy Dench is, is yeah, a, a wonderful actor you know she, mm. she's got such uh, such range to her um, I mean alright maybe playing an old woman is not exactly stretching for, for her much anymore but the type of the type <laughs> yes, of, a different type of old woman yes. in this sense yes yeah. she's always very watchable and uh, yeah. you know yeah. up, the up and coming Judy Dench yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, long may she reign uh, that's Red Joan 11.15pm BBC2 Monday the 7th of February let's move now to Tuesday the 8th of February 1.15am on Great Movies uh, so I'm guessing technically in the wee small hours of Wednesday morning yes but it's an overnighter one of those ones make sure people don't turn it. up for it 24 hours early is why I, yeah, I make the point yeah. of that so it's, it's middle of the night job so yeah. you know if you have one of those clever electronic devices that records films yeah. upon the TV then use it 
um, or stream it or whatever. But it's yeah. it's Drive. Yeah. Um, 2011. Can't believe that was 10 years ago. Wow. The time flies. 11 um, years ago. Uh, oh, gosh. Yes, it is, isn't it? You're right. Um, I can't even do the maths anymore. So this one's directed by Nicholas. Is it Winding Refin? I can never Winding Refin. I can never pick one and, go, and hold it firm. Yeah, Nick. It's directed yeah. by Nick. He's really good. Um, anyway, it's based on uh, James Salas's novel. Now I can I can confirm he is actually Jim Salas because I've met him. Ah, um, he. Is oh, because you're an author, author as well, aren't you? Yeah. Oddly enough, did I ever mention that? Yeah. He is an author who was published in America. Drive loads of other uh, books. And local publisher, No Exit, based in Harpenden, got the UK rights for his novels, including Drive. And when they got them, shortly after that, um, Drive was turned into a big Hollywood movie with Ryan Gosling as the unnamed Hollywood stunt driver who moonlights as a getaway driver. So it starts with him showing how good he is at this. He does bank robberies. He'll tell the crew, you know, you're going to do the robbery. You've got five minutes. I'm on a timer. If you're not out in five, I'm gone. Because uh, it's, it's, it is quite well documented, isn't it, that, that Hollywood stuntmen don't earn much money. There was that documentary in the 80s, The Fall Guy, that, um, that, that you know, Lee Majors uh, demonstrated. Oh, that excellent. He, had to, he had to be a bounty hunter, didn't he? Because he, did. he, he didn't make enough money making Burt Reynolds look good, you which could, I think you, was the gist uh, of the theme song. I, I think, you know, you might fall from a tall building or, yeah. ju- you know, <laughs> jungle from a vine. <laughs> but I'm the unknown stuntman yeah. that makes Eastwood look so fine. That's right. There you go. I remember yeah. it well. Do you know what? I, I, when it was his birthday every year, when I was on the radio, I used to play that song because uh, you know, it was released as a single and there's a third verse to it and it basically oh, wow. gives a Burt Reynolds a right kick in and about oh, how, you know, um, he, you know, he, he makes, uh, how he, he makes, uh, yeah, Burt Reynolds look tough or something. It is, And I think at the time, Lee Majors had, he was divorcing Farrah Fawcett who was in a relationship with Burt Reynolds. Oh. So he, he asked for that extra verse to be added. I'm no pretty doubt. sure that, that that might have been worked yeah. in, but they didn't show it on the TV. It was quite good how an actor played a stuntman taking the mick out of actors. I thought it was quite uh, yeah. a nice twist. But uh, but yeah, so he's uh, he's a, a somewhat more gritty version on this one. It's very much a gangster kind of movie. He's no cult Seavers. No, he's not quite that tough, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but he has got Kerry Mulligan as, as his neighbour who he falls for. Oh. And her young son, you know. Anyway, her debt-ridden husband, played by Oscar Isaac, who's uh, doing rather well these days. He's released from prison, and they take part in what turns out to be... Uh, sorry, uh, two men take part in what turns out to be a botched heist that endangers the lives of everyone involved. Uh, the, the supporting cast is interesting on this one. Uh, the people in the, the more minor roles include Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad, Christina Hendricks from Mad Men, Ron Perlman, and the villain is played by Albert Brooks which is um, quite odd casting, but works. Mm. But all, yeah. all of those casts, I mean, they're all, they're all fine actors. It's a really yeah, good yeah. cast. It's a really good pulled together there. Um, up that one. Ron Perlman, people may not recognise the name, but They'll he certainly recognise his face. So yeah, he's I mean, a lot of, look. lot of um, character work over the years. Uh, he mm. was one of the main characters in Sons of Anarchy on TV. Uh, he's done lots of other things besides. And Albert Brooks, who I always thought was kind of very soft, cuddly, light, comedic yeah, Albert Brooks. Broadcast was, news, Albert yeah, Brooks, you know. Chilling in this. Mm. Absolutely chilling as, as the uh, the villain. Um, yeah. yeah, so what, yeah, a cracking film from, from 11 years ago now, uh, Drive. Uh, so that's uh, great movies. That's Tuesday's pick. It's technically Wednesday, but we still call yeah, it Tuesday. Yeah, we're allowed another night, yeah. aren't we? Very late Tuesday. Frankly, One, there was nothing any good on earlier either. That's the other reason I chose it. 1.15 a.m., uh, but let's move to uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday proper, 11.15pm on BBC Two. Uh, 
what a great movie. I, yeah. I would never have watched a movie like this. Costume dramas are really not my thing, but this one's a cracker. This was great. I Dangerous mean, we, we've mentioned it before months ago, but again, I think it's worth remembering uh, today because it's on and it's on BBC Two at quarter past 11, so it's um, available to everyone to watch on Wednesday. It, Dangerous Liaisons is um, directed by the brilliant Stephen Frears. Uh, screenplay by Christopher Hampton, who's also got a lot of pedigree and really good writing. Uh, and he wrote the play, which was uh, La Liaison des Rues. Ha-ha. Um, you're, doing, you're doing all the accents, I am. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm having fun today, but they changed that to Dangerous Liaisons sensibly because it would have confused lots of people. Um, this is also um, direct, uh, adapted from an earlier novel, very earlier novel, 1782, by Chaudelet de Laclos. I believe that is pronounced, but then I may have got that horribly wrong. You're going to get complaints about the pronunciation of this uh, podcast, I tell you. That's not what the complaint's um, about when you're involved, mate. Oh, believe I you can me. imagine. Um, usually quality, I suspect, is the you, key word in the complaint. You haven't <laughs> mentioned his book enough. <laughs> Did I mention I'm a writer? Yeah. From, from, anyway, from HL in move, Hertfordshire. Moving swiftly onwards, the, fil- the film stars, and they're brilliant in it, Glenn Close, John Malkovich, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Also, very young Uma Thurman. I think it was her second movie. Mm. And it basically um, follows the, uh, I suppose you would call them immoral, not amoral people, who are populating the French high society back then. They've got loads of money. They don't have jobs or anything. They don't do anything, except they spend time gossiping and plotting. And in theory, everybody's very pure. All the women are either virgin or married. Um, and, you know, would never, ever have an affair. But there's lots going on in the background. And John Malkovich's character is basically a seducer. Glenn Close's character is his friend. Um, they do things they're not supposed to together. Well, not together, but separately. Then they talk about it. And then they have a little wager. And um, it is initially that um, Glenn Close wants John, um, John Malkovich to seduce Uma Thurman's character because she's betrothed in marriage innocently as a young girl to one of Glenn Close's former lovers and she feels quite spurned by the fact that he's turned her over and he's going to marry this girl Is that Keanu Reeves? No, Keanu Reeves Because he's in it, isn't he? Yes, they, they, what they end up doing is involving putting Keanu Reeves and Uma Thurman together which is because the revenge the reason the revenge changes is because um, John Malkovich's character doesn't want to demean himself by just seducing a virgin he's done it hundreds of times before what he wants to do is seduce Michelle Pfeiffer's character. She's older and renowned for her morality. And she knows exactly how bad he is. So that's the challenge. How do you get a woman who's renowned for her morality to fall in love with you? And that's the wage they have. And, and uh, basically, Glenn Close says, if you can do that, you can come back and have me. You know, and, and, But it doesn't work out quite the way you would imagine because John Malkovich's character actually develops real feelings for Michelle Pfeiffer's character. And uh, you know complications ensue. Put it that way. Okay. And no spoiler alerts, but it's uh, it's no comedy. It's superbly written and acted, though. So apparently, um, the stage version, um, the character that John Markovich played, was played on stage in the West End by Alan Rickman. Yeah, famously, and he didn't get the part in no, the movie. Apparently, wasn't so, even considered. No, because he wasn't well known back then. So, no, you know. But uh, yeah. but a wonderful, wonderful movie. Mm, and. It um, is. Uh, I'm trying to find a list and I can't find it now, but it has been remade a few times. And some of the remakes have been quite interesting because they, they tend to not share the same name. One of them was called Valmont and it came out not long after. In fact, it might have even been the same year. As, okay. as so if you find a film called Valmont on there, putting you under no pressure whatsoever to do this live on air. <laughs> but uh, it, I, I'm trying to think, was Colin Firth in that or someone? I'm trying. 
Someone played Valentine's You know how Colin occasionally, Firth, there you Benning. go. 1989, so it was yeah, a year later. a year later. later. Now, sometimes that happens. You get two things in development at roughly the same time, and they come out, and one will do really well, and the other one... Everybody will go. Well, I, I kind of know that story. So it happens. Yeah. It happens all the time. Mm. If you, you know, the, you, we could probably do a whole film guide just doing that. You, know, yeah. you think about um, there was uh, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone that came out within a year yeah. of each other. Then they were both in production. There were at the two same time. Truman Capote movies at once. Yeah. Um, two Robin Hood films. The Kevin Costner one, and there was one with was it Liam Neeson? No, Patrick Bergen. And they both, ah. but but uh, but yeah, the Patrick Bergen one, which Patrick had Uma Bergen Thurman one. as Maid Marian. And it sort of fizzled without trace, but uh, the Kevin Costner one, biggest film of the year. Yeah, huge. Um, yeah. They had loads of examples like that. So, but then the one I was thinking of, so Valmont is the one you just mentioned there, with Colin Firth and Annette Benning from 1989. But uh, there was another one in the 90s, and I'm just trying to find this very quickly. Here we go. Ten years later, 1999, Cruel Intentions. Ah, well, that is. A, do you know that movie? Because I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a modernised um, remake set in a high school. And it's got Buffy the Vampire Slayer in it, isn't it? Sarah yeah. Michelle Gellar. Uh, and is it Ryan Philippe who yeah. married... Um, ooh, what's her name? Uh, married his co-star, Reese Witherspoon, who's yeah. in this as well. Yeah, so... Um, and, it's, and it's good. It's good for... I haven't seen it in a long while. I saw it when it first came out. Was a little sceptical. I thought, they're going to ruin uh, Dangerous Liaisons here, aren't they? But no, they just say it in a high school setting. And but what a wonderful, Sarah Michelle Gellar's great in it. I was going to say, and, and what a wonderful adaptation as well. The way that they... they Completely modernised it. Put it into a. Oh, who hasn't got their phone on silent? Yeah, is that an alarm to say our time is up? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, who, who hasn't? Um, yeah, yeah. Forget that bit. But um, but you know, the, the the way that they they put it into such a different setting, and yet kept the essence of of the story so yes, well. That's rare. And changing it to yeah. high school and changing mm. it to America and modern day and all of these things. Yet it just sizzled. And 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 Sarah Michelle Gellar. I thought did just as good a, 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 in that role as, as Glenn Close did in, in the original. Um, Praise indeed. Yeah. She, she's very, very good in it, as I remember. I've seen it in ages, so I should watch that mm. one again. They did do some sequels to it with none of the original cast oh, in right, them. Oh, that's right, they did. And I they all went straight to DVD, and I, I would give those a very wide swerve. Yeah. But but uh, no, the original one, you know, great great casting. Uh, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Philippe, Reese Witherspoon were the, the main cast. Christina Baranski was in there somewhere, oh. as was um, Susie Kurtz, who was in Dangerous the Liaisons. The original one. Yeah. Also, the original Dangerous Liaisons. Look out for Valmont's manservant. That is not a euphemism. He literally has a servant who is male, and he's played by quite young-ish Peter Capaldi. Right. And he, he's very good, very cynical. Okay. He's very good, very watchable. Right, that's uh, that's dangerous liaisons. That's the film that uh, Howard has chosen uh, for Wednesday, the 9th of February, eleven fifteen pm on BBC Two. Final film of the week, Thursday, the tenth of February. We have nine pm on Channel Four. You haven't done film four once. No, but I'm upset with them. They didn't. They didn't buy me a beer, did they? So, but you've done yeah. Channel Four. Yeah, all it's right. part of the four family, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I'm never going to get a sponsor at this rate, am I? Never mind. You're going to struggle, but yeah. here we go. Uh, and and uh, some of these people have already appeared this week as well. At least two of them have. I, yes. From looking at this, all star cast. It is, and it's Murder on the Orient Express from 2017. Yes, it's so it's the more modern version as opposed to the one in the 70s, which also had an all star cast. Now, controversial choice because um, it's uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh, who plays Hercule Poirot. I love Kenneth Branagh. I, I'm not in love with the moustache he sports in this. It's absolutely ludicrous. But generally speaking, I can watch him do most things. Um, very talented actor. And I would say this is worth a, worth a watch. It's um, If you like an Agatha Christie 
film and plot and you like an adaptation this one's quite glossy quite well 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 directed as you expect with Branner I suppose um, it has a all-star cast including Penelope Cruz Willem Dafoe Judy Dench who we mentioned earlier um, in, a, in a previous in a previous movie it's got Johnny Depp in it Derek Jacobi, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Daisy Ridley. So that's that's quite a cast he's assembled. And um, yeah, he's, I mean, it's a bit. He, he's scraping the bow there, but isn't yeah, it? a bit shabby. These, I guess they're all out of work, and you know, he felt sorry for them. But uh, he's done it again because he's doing um, Death on the Nile, which is coming out in February. As a it, cinema it, release. It is February. So oh it's yes, coming it out is this February. Month. Gosh, I've, I've the, the crossover from. January to February has clearly eluded me, and, and the fact that it's and we're, and we're, even, and we're recording you know, this. In, it's not as I if know. we're recording this in January and I you know, just got that wrong. I'd we love are. to have used that as an excuse to say, "Well, we recorded this some time ago," and I do apologise. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'm just not with it. I'm afraid. But anyway, the new Agatha Christie Death on the Nile version, which Branagh has directed, all star cast again, is coming out shortly. Um, this one will, will whet your appetite for it, really. And um, it's yeah, Poirot, the world-renowned detective. Investigates a murder on the Orient Express. There you go. Okay. In fact, Death on the Nile will feature on next week's film guide because it comes out next week. Brilliant. That's shall, how close we I are. I shall definitely tune in yeah. with even more uh, enthusiasm than usual. And and if you are interested in that all-star cast, it includes Annette Benning and Russell Brand and, um, and yeah, uh, Kenneth Branagh's back in there as well. And I'm sure there's a few others besides. Oh, Gal Gadot, of course. Uh, mm. Wonder Woman herself. Um, she she's in there too, but uh, but I believe this movie ended with with somebody saying, "Ah, Monsieur Poirot, Monsieur Poirot, there's there's been a murder on the Nile," and then he off he goes. Um, that, that makes me think of Peter Sellers on the Nile. What the, the, the nail in the wall? You know, <laughs> I might have got the line slightly wrong, but it's the something to that effect. It, it ends setting it right up for a sequel. Um, but but this does it it does play some it does take some liberties with with previous adaptations um i'm not actually that familiar with the original novel so i don't know if the original novel was was no, that close to i, stuck I to, remember but. i just remember the movie i think it was albert finney yeah. in the movie yeah in the 70s and i remember watching that and being and, and being i mean most people know the ending but i won't give it mm. away but being quite like, oh the ending's terrific yeah uh and i mean like all agatha christie stuff the credulity is stretched a little bit you know but yeah. she's She's the one that started it, was, it all. And it was more that in this, I thought Kenneth Branagh for a start, he had a, the biggest moustache I've ever yes, seen on I, a that's Poirot. That's why I alluded to it. I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know why. It was a distraction. Yeah. And, and also, I, he was a little bit, at the end, he went a little bit action star. You know, he, mm. you know, Poirot was having a bit of a wrestle with somebody at one point. I've not seen that in a previous adaptation. I don't know whether that was perhaps in the original novel or not. Yeah, but, but it, I, um, it sort of reminds me of when they do Sherlock Holmes as a boxer and all that kind of thing in yeah, but, uh, Hollywood but, style stuff. But, I mean, they have alluded <clears throat> to that in... Yeah, Conan Doyle did allude yeah. to that. There were bits where he talked about he was a quite... The, he, he studied the art of pugilism. Yeah, oh, that's a, true. He did, yeah. But, but, yeah, but this... But I, no. I don't know. It, it, it yeah. just seems... But... but that aside, it looks beautiful and sumptuous. Yes, you know, that's the, the thing. I mean, it's not. I, I agree with what you just said on on the characterizations. Or you know, I normally forgive Bran and most things. So I think he's excellent, but the the moustache very distracting. Um, certain amount of Hollywood gloss, but the fact that they've got the budget and the cast is it makes it a fun movie. It's a fun Saturday night movie to watch, and uh, I am looking forward to the uh, Death on Now, which was postponed over and over again because covid i think it's been postponed at least five times yes because that was made a while ago wasn't it, it um, was. but it's it's yeah. only just coming out now now am i mistaken or is olivia coleman in this movie as well or yes, have i, I think made she that is. Up? i think you're right hang on 
not in the cast list that I ended up no, writing down. No, she's but, not in the cast list that I'm looking yeah, at. But I, I think she is. I seem to remember seeing her in the train carriage at the beginning. where Because we can't go a whole week without you choosing her somewhere. That's true. That's true. It's, well, I think there's a legal requirement that she has to be in every movie. Yeah. So, you know. Um, so uh, <laughs> Either her or Stephen Graham or Judy Dench or Helen Mirren. I'm just scrolling down so. the list here. So uh, it, it was 2017 the movie came out, didn't it? And yeah, she was. She was in Murder yeah, on the Orient Express. Because wasn't she the, didn't she play like the assistant to Judy Dench's character? I would not contradict you, but I can't remember. Or, or, I, you know, she was linked she, to she Judy was definitely Dench's not, character. She was definitely someone in a lower yeah. role or capacity like or whatever. Like a servant yes, or something. I'm in agreement with yeah. you on that one. Okay, but no, she was in there. So don't worry, dear listener. We, we have included yeah. Olivia Coleman once again. She has to get a mention, bless yeah. her. Yeah, by hook or by crook, we'll get her in. <laughs> anyway, she needs the help. We're responsible her. for her entire career. We've been bigging her up for so many weeks. Yeah, yeah. Livy, as we call her, you know, mm. you owe us. Coley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. On that note, uh, Howard Linsky, thank you very much. Howard's books are out now. Oh, and hang on, you're pointing at me because we haven't asked you to. Oh, no. Is I that... was trying to subtly indicate that we normally pick one from of the group, we don't do. we? Sorry, because yes. you always spring that on me, and I often forget, but today I was poised. Okay. Like a coiled spring let to me leap ask into you action. <clears throat> we won't, we won't yes. edit this bit out. We'll Sorry, do you have a question for me, bad. Danny? Before yes, we I say do. Um, goodbye. What would be your, your, your. If you had to choose one of those movies, which one would you choose? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm really glad you asked me that. I will go for Dangerous Liaisons because it is just quality. Okay, that's the one. Uh, thank you for that, Howard. Uh, Howard's very books, welcome. Howard's books, some of them are quite good. One of them's <laughs> rubbish. I'm not going to say yeah, which. I know that one was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah. Don't buy that one. No, but some of them, not bad. Um, Anyway, his books are available from all good bookshops and most of the ropey ones and all. Uh, look for Bargain Bin somewhere and uh, you'll probably find them. Two for the price of one, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. He's no stranger to a three for. Um, so three for two, that was. Uh, so anyway, thank you, Howard. And um, yeah, we You're will. very welcome. Yeah, Howard will be back uh, next month with more um, films. Next week on the Film Guide, it's the return of Chris Aikman. Uh, he will be here doing doing his thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, Howard's Choice of Films on Free to Air TV. The list is in the description of this podcast episode right now and it's also on our website at stanobanspodcast.com <laughs>